Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, tonight we're in this series, as Pastor Ben mentioned, called Freestyle, which has honestly been pretty great. We've been talking about different aspects of Christian living and what God's Word has to say on them. We've covered topics like trials and hardship, spiritual attack, forgiveness, our war with the world. Do you remember Pastor Ben talked about the tripods? That's pretty cool. Well, tonight I want to take an in-depth look and focus on the issue of bodybuilding. Huh? What does that have to do with the Bible? Well, believe it or not, a lot. And I've been praying about this teaching for a little while now, and as I was reflecting on what God would have me to share tonight, I felt like it was somewhat confirmed the other day as Pastor Ben and I were having some coffee. It's something we rarely ever do. And so we were having this discussion, and we were talking about how summer is here, and we're both trying to work on our bikini bodies. No, more like dad bods. And the topic of the gym came up. And, you know, our favorite thing to pay for that we never use. Anyone else ever do that? Have a gym membership and never go? So we're talking about the gym, and we're kind of discussing what's the best time to go. How do you fit it in your schedule? Um, what's the best way to work out? Are you, are you doing circuits? Are you doing things like that? What's the best price plan? Just, just talking, just visiting. And it came up that wouldn't it be crazy to be a gym rat? You know, one of those guys that's there all the time, you've probably seen them before. They usually wear what passes for a shirt, but really it's just enough fabric to reveal all the muscles that they have. It's usually those people who look like their muscles have muscles. They're all hopped up on protein powder and pickle juice. I once heard a comedian say that he wanted to go to the gym just to go up to them and be like, congratulations, you did it, you won, you can go home now. You beat the system. But the truth is, as we think about bodybuilding and bodybuilders in general, they've had an incredible diligence to get to where they're at. They've made their goals and they've stuck with them. They've carefully managed their diet, their time, their attention to what gives them the best results. And while some of us may never aspire to have that type of physique, you have to respect and admire what it took them to get there. When you think about it, like I said, it takes massive amounts of discipline, diligence, commitment, passion, and unwavering willpower in the face of temptation. Temptation, I I tell you, for me, comes in two words, ice and cream. So I hope you're following where I'm going here, because this is definitely not a subversive effort to sign you up for a Body Works membership. In fact, we have Premier Sportsplex represented right here in the front seat. So if anything, Body Works is out the door. Nor is this a self-help lecture trying us, trying to turn us all into Dwayne the Rock Johnson. No, in fact, I see a spiritual correlation where we as the body of Christ can take the example of these gym giants and apply their methods to our walks with God, our progressive sanctification, the process of becoming lean, mean, faith-walking, and practicing machines. And sadly, it's obvious that the church as a whole needs this encouragement more than ever. The American church is wavering and staggering further than the truth now more than it ever has before. 
Our faith as a nation could, at best, be described as anemic or sickly, and at the worst, non-existent. I read the other day that a recent study from Barna came out in October 2017. They did this poll, and it showed that 51% of churchgoers had never heard of the Great Commission, ever. And then check this out from the article on Barna.com. It says this, In partnership with Seed Company, Barna conducted a study of the church, of the U.S. church's ideas about missions, social justice, Bible translation, and other aspects of spreading the gospel around the world, available in the new report, Translating the Great Commission. When asked if they had previously heard of the Great Commission, half of U.S. churchgoers, 51%, say they do not know of this term. It would be reassuring to assume that the other half who know the term are actually familiar with the passage by this name, but that proportion is low as well, 17%. Meanwhile, the Great Commission does ring a bell for one in four, but they can't remember what it is. 6% of churchgoers are simply not sure whether they have heard this term, the Great Commission, before. So if you were to put it in a pie graph, half of it would say, no, never even heard of it. 17% would say, yes, I know what it means. 25% would say, yes, but I can't recall the exact meaning. And 6% would say, I'm not sure. And of course, we know that the Great Commission is what Jesus encouraged us to do at the very end of Matthew. It says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our edict. That's our, that's our creed. That's like Jesus's last call. He said, hey, this is, this is the, this is what I'm leaving you with as I go to heaven. This is, this is what I'm committing for you to do. And so that's why we need to strengthen our faith and resolve. And so tonight, I've titled this message Bodybuilding. It's really simple. And we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 1. In the course of this teaching, my goal is that we are encouraged, strengthened, and built up. So as we go through our text, I'm going to give you three keys to bodybuilding. Three keys to bodybuilding. But we, before we dive into our, our study, let's visit for a minute about the book of Second Peter. Obviously, the, the author's name is in the title. It's uh, Simon Peter. And if you remember him, he's a roguish Galilean fisherman turned fisher of men. Jesus went and called him and said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And and he was also one of Jesus' closest confidants. Jesus had the three. He had Peter, James, and John. And if you know anything about Peter's story, a lot of times he gets gets a tough rap because he had extreme high highs and extreme low lows. At one point, Jesus says, well, who who do you say that I am? And, And Peter goes, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then a second, you know, just moments later, Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross. And Peter's like, no, I forbid you. And God, Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. And so he has, during the course of the Gospels, he has some some pretty wild moments. I mean, he's the dude that walked on water. And so as we look at Peter's life, he's really a perfect example of the Gospel at work in a life full of faith. Because, again, from the moment Jesus calls him, he has his ups and his downs. But once the Spirit of the Lord moves in his heart, he is on fire for God. He becomes 
the spokesperson for the church in the book of Acts. And thousands of people get saved from the messages that the Holy Spirit puts into his heart. To me, it's crazy that this man, whom the Pharisees and the priests call uneducated and untrained, but because they see his boldness and and the, the power of his witness, they realize that he had been with Jesus. In fact, later on in Acts, Peter was the first person that God used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. There's a really cool story about a man named Cornelius and Peter meeting him and all those things. You can study that in a different time. But for all his faults, his faults and shortcomings, he is the everyman apostle, the one that most of us can relate to as a real person with real struggles. And he responds in a real way. And I have to ask, isn't it awesome that our heroes of the Bible have flaws too? That God doesn't sugarcoat them to be perfect? That we can see that, hey, they made mistakes? That, hey, they sinned too? Even after Peter was leading the church. He had an issue where Paul had to come and confront him. And and that's the thing is we're Christians, but we're not sinless. We're walking in a life where we attempt, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep on moving and getting further away from sin. But we're always going to struggle with sin until the day of Christ Jesus. And so Peter, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, wrote two books of the New Testament. First Peter is essentially a handbook for the Christian conduct as ambassadors in a hostile world. In it, he gives the guidelines for believers to live by as they navigate a world full of persecution, encouraging them to see beyond the present troubles and trials and to look to their inheritance waiting in heaven, which can never spoil, perish, or fade. So that's First Peter. And in Second Peter, on the other hand, Peter gives uh, the church, directly gives the church a strong warning regarding false teachers who were coming up. And then he also gives them an encouraging reminder of the resources that we have through our faith in Jesus. And his goal of the book that we're going to be studying tonight is that Christians would develop and mature so much in their faith that they'd be able to detect, to combat, and to withstand any false teachers or poisonous doctrine that they would teach and spread. According to church history historians, Second Peter was likely written shortly before he was martyred uh, by an upside-down crucifixion around 66 AD during the reign of Caesar Nero. And that's where we'll find our encouragement tonight. Second Peter chapter 1, we're just going to take a running leap from verse 1. If you'll read with me, it says... Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, right there, reading those first verses, my first reaction word is, wow. Because right at the start of this letter, the Holy Spirit opens the floodgates to Peter's writing with theological gold. 
And honestly, we could literally spend weeks on these verses alone, pulling out the rich depths of what Peter just said. But unfortunately, as I said, we don't have it, but just until 10 o'clock, no. We only have until 8.20 or so tonight. And so to gain another perspective of it, to gain some more clarity, I wanted to read it again in the New Living Translation, and then we'll break down what it says, and we'll get our first key for spiritual bodybuilding. So back in verse 1 in the New Living Translation, it says this, This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. That's Jews and Gentiles alike. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Verse 2, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by, by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So, here's our takeaway. This is what we can get from these first four verses, is that we as believers, because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has accomplished, have been given faith. As, as we receive the free gift of salvation, God, in turn, gives us the gift of faith. And so also... <clears throat> When we first believe in Jesus, not only were we given faith, but Peter goes on to say that we were given everything that we need for living a godly life. <clears throat> Do you know that tonight, if you are here and you have personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you have everything you need to live for Jesus? that you're not having to wait for anything, that there's no hidden secrets. One pastor put it like this, a baby, when it's born, it's, it's right then it's not, going, it's not going to be what it's going to be one day. But it has everything it needs. It's not, a wish, it's not waiting on additional baby parts. In fact, its only job is to grow. You know, you're not going to like have things installed as you get older. No, it has everything it needs. All it has to do is grow. And so not only were we given faith, not only were we given everything we need to live a godly life, but we were also given exceedingly great and precious promises. Did you know that there are over a thousand promises for us in the Bible? A thousand promises. I mean, I get overwhelmed just thinking about the promises of Jesus. You think about it. Jesus gave us the promise of eternal life, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. So many. In fact, if you ever want to do a powerful study, make it a point to just go through the Gospels and underline or notate every promise 
that Jesus makes concerning his followers. So all of this, everything that Peter just listed, all of it comes from the knowledge of God. And that's key number one to bodybuilding. Key number one is knowing God. That's where we begin. That's like when the, when the guy who doesn't know how to lift weights shows up at the weight room and gets a personal trainer. And they look at him and they're like, oh, you are just a piece of clay right now. I'm going to form you. Because what happens is, is as we get to know God, all of a sudden we have this foundation for faith. Now let me say this. This is kind of crazy because as our first key is knowing God without knowing him, Nothing else works. We won't have a foundation of faith. We won't have everything that pertains to life and godliness. And we won't be able to hold on or grasp the promises of God. The word knowledge in verse 3 doesn't refer to a casual acquaintance. It means an exact, complete, and thorough knowledge. You've heard it from this pulpit many times because in this information age of Wikipedia and social media, you can learn a lot about a person. You can learn a lot about people, but that doesn't mean you know them. And it certainly doesn't mean that they know you. In fact, some of the scariest words that you could say or actually are in the Bible deal with knowing someone. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The encouragement in our bodybuilding is we have to know him. We can't just know about him. And honestly, how many have walked with Jesus for over a year? Okay, five years, you know, 10 years. You know, we have so many testimonies in this room alone of people that have walked with Jesus for multiple years, and they can witness to you, they can attest that there's nothing like the sweetness of knowing God and his presence. You know, and in fact, as we continue in that knowledge of him. It's like, I want to get to that point where I will have the relationship with God like David had. I mean, when you think about David, what he wrote in the Psalms, at one point he wrote in Psalm 84, he says, I wish I could be like a sparrow. I just want to live in the rafters of the sanctuary of God where I never have to leave. That's how well he knew Jesus. That's how well he wanted to know God. Paul in the New Testament said it so powerfully and beautifully in Philippians chapter 3 when he was recounting his quote-unquote achievements and his accomplishments as a Jewish Pharisee. He said, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is in God by faith, that we, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, 
power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So we have to ask, okay, Josh, you said bodybuilding point number one, key number one is knowing God. Well, how do we know him? Well, practically, there are some simple and effective things that we can do. First and foremost, we have to read the word. You know, we have this Bible, this love letter that God has given us. You know, it's not going to do any good if it sits on a, on a table collecting dust. You know, you can't put it under your pillow and sleep on it and expect you to like osmosis learning through it. No, you have to crack the binding. You have to get into it. You know, and, and there's so much that God wants to say. And if you're scared to, to know where to start, then just ask somebody. Because there are things that are so deep that, that doctors and theologians can be like, I don't know what that means. But there are also things that are so simple that a child can understand them. And so it doesn't matter where you start. Just like bodybuilding, just like lifting weights, it doesn't matter where you start. What matters is that you do start. Because God wants to know you. And that's why he wrote this. That's why, we, that's why this is the number one printed, sold book in the world. That's why there are translators working feverishly to get this Bible into every language in the world. Because God wants to know us and, and we need to know him. And so we want to read his word. We want to memorize it. We want to hide it in our hearts. Another way that we can know God is exactly what we're doing right now. We can go to church. Because what we do when we come to churches is not only do we come and we hear sermons, but we also, we also encourage one another and we, we get to know God by getting to know one another. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know is you're using your gifts that God has given you. And so you want to stay plugged in. Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of the brethren. Because when you come to church, it, it spurs you on. And not only does it do that, but it encourages you. Dads, husbands, you lead your families by coming to the church. Wives, you're leading up by saying, hey, I'm going to go to church. You know, even if your family's at home watching football or whatever it is, what you're doing is you're knowing God. Also, we can spend time in prayer. That's such an awesome way to know, to know God because our prayer time is not a dialogue or not a monologue. It's a dialogue. It's back and forth. You know, we allow God to speak back to us through prayer and through his word. And we also know God through worship. And then another thing that we can do that's really practical is we can listen to podcasts. Not only does our church podcast and, and put online every message that comes from this pulpit, but we also know that there's a wide variety of really good teachers out there that you can listen to. And the internet, while it's brought so much evil, it also has brought so much opportunity for us to hear God, the gospel and to hear and to grow and to know God. So we have to place our trust in him as we receive his, his gift of faith. And once we have that foundation of faith, that leads to our bodybuilding key number two, which is growing in God. So number one, knowing God. Bodybuilding key number two is growing in God. Because I said it's one thing to know about God, but our growth in God is our evidence of our faith in Him. I say this so often, but it's so true. If your faith hasn't changed you, then your faith hasn't saved you. And as I was studying 
for this message. I had never come across this in such direct and simple terms. And it might sound condemning, but it said this, you're never going to grow as a Christian in your faith unless you have faith that you've received from God as a gift of salvation. Unless you've placed your trust in Jesus and now have that rock-solid foundation to build upon, if we look at our lives and realize at any time in our Christian walk that we're not growing, then we need to examine our hearts and make sure that we're in the faith. That's, that's deep. But the truth is, you have to look inward and say, am I growing? And I, I know this is the Wednesday night group, and you're here because you want to grow. So as Pastor Ben says, I'm essentially preaching to the choir. But who knows? Maybe it's for one of us. Maybe one of us needs to hear it. Or even maybe someone listening online needs to hear that. Whatever the case, examining ourselves is something that Paul encourages us to do. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, he says we should test ourselves. Do a heart check. Check our motives. Why do we do what we do? Am I growing? Has God been speaking to me? Am I getting convicted? Am I getting chastised? Because it says in Hebrews, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I mean, are there times where you're like, okay, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, because he comes after us. And that's the beauty of it is, is he, he loves us, but he also doesn't let us walk in that sin. He corrects us so that we come back. He loves us too much to let us continue in that. And, and I love the one pastor says, when God says don't, what he means is don't hurt yourself because he sees what happens when you go in that. So how do we grow in God? Well, back in our text, Peter is going to give us seven areas, seven, of godliness to develop in our lives and build upon our foundation of faith in order to grow. So let's read verses 5 through 8. It says, But also for this very reason, in view of all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brother, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And so right here, Peter just said, for this very reason, in the light of this. And so we say, okay, Pastor Josh, you just taught through verses 1 through 4, pretty light. We didn't really exposit it too heavily because we'd be there forever. But in the light of verses 1 through 4, in the light of the fact that we have everything we need to enjoy life fully and to live godly, in light of the fact that we have been given faith as a gift of salvation, in light of the fact that we have been given hundreds, if not over a thousand of promises of God so graciously, in light of the fact that we are now free from the grasp of lust because of Jesus, now here's what we are to do. That first verse, verse 5, it says, giving all diligence add to your faith. Now I'm going to pull out the NASB version here because the word giving in the NASB is apply. The word is apply, and what it means is bring in besides, like add to, bring in besides. And so the idea that it's saying is God has given you his life and all of his promises. Now you bring in diligence so that you may grow. 
Okay, so you said, wait, wait, wait. Can you say that again? So we see, we said giving means apply, and it means bring in besides. And so it says God has given you his life and all of his promises. So that's his part of it. And it says now our part of it is to bring in diligence so that we may grow. And maybe you're like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, hold on. I've always heard that in order to grow, I just have to abide. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 15? If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Well, the answer, of course, I'm not going to argue with Jesus, is yes. If we abide in Jesus, we'll bear fruit. But there is an amount of personal responsibility to it. There's a, there's a responsibility that we have. Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's our personal responsibility. And then here comes God's, because it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, our growth involves God's resources as the foundation, but also our responsible effort in addition. There's a perfect example of this in the Old Testament book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 17, the children of Israel were going to fight against the Amalekites, a spiritual type of the flesh. And so if you remember the story, it's really simple. Moses went up on the mountain to go and to overlook the valley where the battle would take place. And he had instructed Joshua, his right-hand man, to, hey, go out and select some guys to go to fight with you. And so Joshua went out to fight the battle. And the story goes that as Moses was on this hill overlooking the battle, every time he would raise the rod of God, the staff that God had given him, over his head, then Joshua and the children of Israel would begin to prevail. And as his arms got tired and he brought it down, all of a sudden Amalek would prevail. And there's a neat story about how these guys brought a rock and they were holding his arms up and, and Joshua was winning. But what we see is that there's two sides of it because the faith in God's side was Moses raising his staff and the fighting the battle side was Joshua leading the army. It's practical and it's spiritual. They meet together. And so if we don't have this balance, if you go completely to one side or the other, you'll miss the point. If we stray too much towards the license side, we'll never grow. We'll be like, hey, I just have to abide. What does that mean? I don't know. Just walk with Jesus. So, you know, you're not putting any effort into it. You're not taking any personal responsibility into it. That's too much license. And then if you look at it from the other way and you try too hard to grow on your own in your own legalism, then it becomes a work of the flesh. That's why we have to have balance, the practical and the spiritual. Our growth involves God's resources as the foundation, but also our responsible effort in addition. So we want to apply diligence, which leads us to ask, what exactly does diligence mean? It means eagerness or zeal. And so we're kind of rebuilding verse 5 real quick. So it says, apply eagerly or zealously. And here's where we get to the word add. It says, add to your faith. And right here, we're back at the gym. Right here is where we become 
bodybuilders. Because what the New Living Translation says is it says, supplement your faith. And what supplement means is to add something that completes or enhances something when it is added to it. To add something that completes or enhances something else when it is added to it. So what Peter is encouraging us to do is to take the foundation of our faith and to zealously bring in these seven characteristics that are going to enhance it, to let them work in harmony to grow us in our faith. That's literally another translation of the word. It's, it's like choreography. As we add these things, all of a sudden, it's this dance that all works together. That was what the original Greek word meant. And so we want to break them down. We want to go through these seven things. We'll go through them pretty quick. First and foremost, Peter says, you need to add to your faith virtue. So virtue, what does that mean? Well, the term means moral excellence, a rejection of the darkness of this world. And that brings up the question, are we allowing any darkness of this world in our minds? Are we allowing it in our homes? You know, I I mentioned it earlier, but if we're not careful, most of us have this pipeline straight to our homes called the Internet. And while it can be used for such great resources, it can also be used for evil. And so we have to check what comes into our eye gate, into our ear gate, what we're allowing in this world. And also, if you have cable, you have to just kind of, you know, you have to be watchful because we want to have virtue. We want to be selective in what we allow in, and we want to add virtue or valor or strength to stand up to this dark world and live for the light. You know, as I was studying, I found another translation for the word virtue, and it literally meant excellence. And, and what was so cool is it said, the excellence is in finding the intentional use for the thing that you have. So like, let's say that I have a knife. The most excellent use for the knife that it has is cutting. Or like, let's say for a horse, the most excellent use that a horse would have is running, is racing, is, is just, just running down the road. For us, as believers, as, as Christians, as, as people created in the image of God, the most excellent use of our lives is worshiping God, is living for Him. That's what virtue means. And so, not only are we to add to our faith virtue, but to build on that now, we're, we're to progress and we're to add knowledge because Peter progresses and he continues to build. And so he says, now that I'm not giving my, my mind any darkness, I'm not allowing any room for darkness in my mind, I can take in more of God's word and I can start to bring in knowledge. And the more of God's word that we bring in, the more we know him better. And that's what's so awesome, is as the things of the world begin to fade out of view, the more we'll get hungry for what God has to offer. And that church is kind of crazy because it's so much like the gym. 
Because a lot of times when you don't go for a while and you think about going, you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not going, you know, and you're like, I'm not going to do it. And then all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you're like, I got to go. It's got to happen, you know, and so you go and you're like, eh, you know, and you kind of walk around and you're resistant to it. And all of a sudden, as you're going to the gym, you might catch the bug and you're like, hey, you know, I'm in pain, but this is like feel good. Like I know I'm making gains pain, that kind of pain where you're like, oh, my muscles hurt and I'm like limping, but I want more of this because I realize it's good for me. And that's the same thing with church. We see it so many times where people haven't come forever and then they come and we're like, just come back next week. And then they come and that hunger starts to build. And then the next thing you know, they're like, that's my chair, get out, you know, because they want to be here. And that's what it's like going to the gym. I mean, you like you become a regular. And we have to have that same heart, that same hunger for the Word of God, because that's what happens when we get more of God. There's a hunger that grows for more of it. And so we're to add to our virtue knowledge. And we don't stop there, because now verse 6 says, to our knowledge, self-control. And this is progressive as well, because we have to add self-control to our knowledge, because knowledge without being tempered puffs up. I read a story about a pastor who gained knowledge, and what he was studying was he was like, Jesus drank wine? Okay, it's all right for him to drink alcohol. I can do it too. And the next thing you know, without self-control, in this particular case, this pastor and his wife started going to wine tastings. And then it progressed to going to, to parties and just casually drinking. And the next thing you know, they full-on were just partying, and it said that the pastor ended up dancing with somebody of the opposite sex. His wife got jealous, and it ended up that their relationship ended in a, a divorce. And so all of that, that, that slippery slope of saying, hey, I know something, without having the self-control to temper it, without having the self-control to temper it, just like a bodybuilder, when you think about the self-control that they have to have in order to get where they want to be, they have self-control too. And we have to, as believers, have that in our lives. That's one of the characteristics. And so adding to self-control, we need perseverance. Perseverance, or another word for it, is patience. I'll ask you right now, it's sometimes really hard to be patient, isn't it? And even when you develop patience in your own life, it can be so difficult to be patient with other people. Because you're like, come on, what are you doing? I, I think of myself driving, but let's not go there. It's hard to be patient. You know, in fact, Santos spoke on this a couple weeks ago, that patience in the believer produces a perfect work. And it's sad and it's unfortunate, but this word, perseverance, can also be used in reference to suffering. It means that we keep following Christ even when it results in persecution or hardship. Even when life is tough, we persevere. Even when things go bad, we persevere. Even when there's bad news from the doctor, we persevere because what we're able to do is we're able to realize that this life is short, but what's to come is eternal. 
what pro- what's promised is eternal. And so we add to self-control perseverance, and then to, to perseverance, we add godliness. And so as we walk in that self-control, and as we persevere, now out of those characteristics flows godliness, which refers to living in reverence to God in every situation. And isn't that what we want? That in every situation, God pours out of us, that we constantly think of, what does God say about this? How does God feel about this decision in my life? Not WWJD, but literally, God, you're driving this car. I'm just along for the ride. What do you want? You know, I was thinking about, you know, Christianese. So many times, you know, especially in Lubbock and you know, we're surrounded by people that have been born in the USA and born in a Christian family, and so they just automatically have that like, well, whatever happened, praise the Lord. You know, and it's almost like they're Woody from the toy store. You know, they pull the string and it's like, there's a snake in my boot. You know, whatever it is, you know, we don't want just that that instant response. Well, praise the Lord, brother, or, you know, mercy. You know, whatever it might be, we don't want that at all. What we want is God so much in our lives, that godliness that can only come from developing and growing in these characteristics, from supplementing our faith with these things, that we have genuine godliness. Kind of like Job. Do you remember what happened with Job? All of that tragedy. You know what his response to all of that was? When his wife was saying, just curse God and die. I mean, literally, probably his best friend and closest confidant was saying, this is terrible. You just need to curse God and die. Just just bite it. Job, because of the godliness that he had developed in his character through walking with Jesus, his response was, naked I came into this world and naked I'll leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Whatever the case, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to bless the Lord. That's my paraphrase. That's what happens when we walk in godliness. And and that kind of godliness doesn't happen overnight. It takes walking with Jesus. It takes virtue. It takes knowledge. It takes self-control. It takes perseverance. Verse 7, to godliness add brotherly kindness. And so from walking with God, we're naturally going to start loving one another And the word loving kindness here literally is, in the Greek, Philadelphia. It's that brotherly love. And I think about Jesus when he was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandments? And it's love God and also love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the the guy said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is like, well, I got a story for you. And through that story, we realize that our neighbor is everyone. Anyone we come in contact with, any human We're supposed to treat that person with kindness. We're supposed to respect them, no matter what walk of life they come from. And that's what God builds in us as we walk with him, and we add that to our faith, is that loving kindness. And we find that built in to our core values. Love people. And then the last one, it says, and to brotherly kindness, love. And so seeing all these things, what it's going to naturally progress into is love. And, and you can guess what that word love is. 
It's not storge, like family love. It's definitely not eros, like romantic love. It is agape, that unconditional love, a self-sacrificing commitment to seek the highest good of the one we're showing love to. And you know what? That doesn't just happen. We have to work at it. We have to often fight pride and laziness to demonstrate love for one another. Now, here's the neat thing about agape love, is every day is a chance to practice it. Whether we're at home with our family, or at work with our coworkers, or even here at the church, when you're waiting for service to start and you see a new person walk in going, I don't know, <laughs> you know? But here's one of the best things that I can attest to as an assistant pastor or even Pastor Ben saying this, is there's nothing that we love hearing about more than someone who visited the church and say that they felt loved. And that doesn't necessarily always come from people who are in leadership or or greeters. That comes from just the body coming up and saying, hey, how are you? You know, where are you from? What are you doing? Can I help you? Can I get you some water? Can I show you where the bathroom is? Not like, I need you to stay at this church so we keep adding members. But it's, I want to know what your story is. And, And more than anything, I want to make sure you're saved before you walk out those double doors and make sure you know where your eternity in this world lies. That's what love is. And so these are the seven characteristics. They're collective and they're progressive, all working together to grow us in God and in our walks. Now let's look at the results of this growth. Verse 8, it says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation says it like this, The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Christ Jesus. Isn't that an awesome promise that Peter gives us? The more you grow in these characteristics, you will neither be barren or unfruitful. You will always produce fruit. But verse 9 gives us a stern warning because it says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even unto blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You know, I look around the room, and I know there's a handful of us tonight, but I never want any of us to be classified as blind, as short-sighted, as someone who doesn't see the big picture, as someone who literally because I can attest to this, I'm legally blind without use of my contact lenses or glasses, would not be able to drive, can't read, can't watch TV, literally stumbles around at night going, I can't see nothing, you know, just trying to get to the bathroom or whatever it is. I mean, we never, may we never forget what we have been saved from as children of God. So let's close with verses 10 and 11, and I'll give you key number three. I didn't forget. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, there's that word again, zealous, to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Let me put it as simply as I can. If we add these characteristics to our faith, if we build upon the foundation of our faith that Christ has given us, we never have to worry about our salvation. We never have to think, oh, I've lost it. 
Oh, I've walked away from God. Oh, I'm going to lose my salvation because your faith is an evidence of your salvation. And if we do these things, if these things are added to our faith, we will never stumble or fall. Verse 11, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which leads to key number three, going with God. Knowing God, growing in God, and then going with God. We're not in this life to win the title of Mr. or Mrs. Olympia. That's, that's not what bodybuilding I'm kind of talking about. No, our reward is eternity with Jesus. Heaven is a gift. And when we talk about it in terms of, spirit, of, of bodybuilding, that's our gains. That's our goal. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I beat my body into submission so I don't become disqualified. No church, we endure. We never give up. If we sin, we confess it, we learn from it, and we repent of it. We finish the race. Paul also said in Philippians, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you tonight, can we become spiritual bodybuilders for Jesus? To embrace the spiritual by walking by faith and abiding in God who is our vine? but also to embrace the practical of supplementing our faith, to build on the foundation of what God has given us, pressing in with all of our strength. That's my encouragement tonight. Tonight you have an awesome opportunity to be a bodybuilder, to to know God, to grow in God, and then when it comes time, to go with God. Because that's what we're approaching whether it's by us living until Jesus calls us home and we breathe our, our last breath and then we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, or when God, through the rapture, comes and calls us home on the last trump in the twinkling of an eye and, and, and a sound. So I just want to pray, and I want to encourage you tonight that if you don't have that foundation of faith, that if you can look at your life and say, I've never grown. I thought I was a believer. If, if that is you, then you don't have to leave tonight in that way. You can place your faith in Jesus tonight. That's what God offers it. And, and I would ask, if you haven't done that, why? You know, or if you've been, if you've been deceiving yourself and you've been modifying your behavior, That needs to stop tonight. Tonight's an opportunity to walk with Jesus for real and to start building that faith. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Every time we open it, Lord, I know that you speak. And we have the promise in Isaiah that your word never returns void. And so I just thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here tonight. And I pray, God, that if anyone right now is here and they've had any type of question or conviction about their faith, 
that they would just put their faith in you and ask for that, that gift that you give as a foundation of, of their trust, as a foundation of their faith when they place it in you. And God, it's so simple. We've heard it so many times from this pulpit. It, it really is just saying, Jesus, I've sinned. I confess my sin to you. And today I receive the salvation that you give. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord, my God, and my friend. I ask you to renew my mind. And from this day forward, I want to walk with you. Be my God. That's as simple as it is. So tonight, if we haven't made that commitment, God, help us to. And and if we just made that commitment, Lord, then let us reach out to one of the pastors. Lord, I thank you for everyone here tonight, God, and I pray that we would be spiritual bodybuilders, that we would take this encouragement to know you and to grow in that and then also to grow in you and, Father, to one day to go with you. And so we love you, Father, and we thank you for your word. And even now we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.